think by now it's afternoon, right? So I'll say good afternoon. Well, I'm the perfect example of the person who says, been there, done that, not doing it again. <laughs> a little while ago, I ran into uh, Dr. Maxwell, and she said, oh, I'm so glad you're preaching in chapel. She said, I can't wait. And I went, oh, wonderful, yes, looking forward to it. No clue what she was talking about. <laughs> and later went back and checked my email, and there was an email from Dr. Blythe asking me if I would preach in chapel, and then I thought, Lord, you had this plan from the beginning. So I'm back. Here I am. And it's wonderful to see each and every one of you this afternoon. New faces and familiar faces. And I'm especially blessed to see Dr. Trites here. Dr. Trites was my professor of New Testament when I was studying here at Acadia Divinity College. And I have to say, Dr. Trites, many a times I have quoted you to younger students and to students that have been my care and mentorship because you had said to me a long time ago, in order to be in ministry, you have to have a heart of gold and a hide like a rhinoceros. <laughs> you were right. You were right. Mrs. Trites would, would be glad to say when I say, you were right. It is wonderful to be here. I have fond memories of this college. I know I remember I drove Glenwood nuts. Trisha can attest to that. We had a wonderful time here as a class when I went through, and the memories that flood my soul when I come through the doors here are always beautiful and wonderful. So I thank you for the privilege and the blessing of being here this afternoon. Well, we all know that we, we take the time to read our Bible, and there's sometimes that we uh, are more partial to some parts of the uh, Bible than we are to others. One morning when I was reading a devotion out of none other but the daily bread, when I was in a hurry and didn't have enough time to really sit down and think and pray that morning, when I knew three kids had to be off to school and I had to be out the door, I opened up my daily bread and found myself in a passage from Second Chronicles. Now I know outside of Glenwood, <laughs> outside of Glen, that there's probably not a whole lot of people who've just dived into Second Chronicles, just like most of us have probably not dived that much into the Song of Songs. But anyway, here I was looking at Jehoshaphat, and I really have to admit, I had to go back to the chapter and read the whole story because the Daily Bread just gave me a little pricky that morning. Who was this king, and why all of a sudden was he in my face? Well, he was the fourth king of Judah, and he was under the divided monarchy, and he was 35 years old, apparently, when he began his reign. So he was really no spring chicken. And he reigned for 25 years. Jehoshaphat is not new to this position as king, and I'm sure in his 25 years he dealt with many situations, and many things had come his way. And in this particular portion of scripture, some men came to the king and he tells them, there's a vast, a big army coming his way. And upon hearing the news, King Jehoshaphat is alarmed, and rightly so. However, it was his reaction to the news that always struck me. Interestingly enough, he doesn't call together an army and prepare them for battle. He doesn't strike a committee and point a cheer person to spend time to seeing how we could strategically handle the situation and what we're going to do about it. Nor does he put his hands in the ear in an all-out panic, running and screaming and not sure how he's going to handle it. 
Upon hearing this news of this impending attack of this huge army coming against the people, Jehoshaphat does one thing. He turns to God. And with that I go, duh. (laughs) Imagine that. It was not the last resort, but the first resort. One translation said it very clearly that Jehoshaphat was afraid. This seasoned king who's on the throne for 25 years, and I'm sure who would have dealt with difficult people and situations, simply didn't suck up his feelings and give a stiff upper lip. He's obviously not ashamed to admit in the presence of his people that he's afraid. He's not afraid to admit that after all of these years of being on the throne, that in his fear he felt the need to ask the Lord what to do. Now, I'm sure if Jehoshaphat was a modern-day man, that he would not be afraid to ask for directions if he was lost. In seeking God in this situation, Jehoshaphat turns to the Lord, and then he turns the people to the Lord because he calls them together to fast. He comes, brings them all together to focus in on the face of God in this situation. Jehoshaphat didn't do it alone either. He calls together his people and he goes to Jerusalem and he asks them for help in the divided kingdom. And he knows where to go for help. He knows that he can't defeat this army on his own. He gathers God around him and the people. And when both the people of Judah and Jerusalem are together, we're told men, women, and children, they all stand before the king. And it is here that the king stands up to address the people. He gives them a sermon. And he reminds them of God's goodness and God's greatness and God's graciousness. I love the speech he gives. And I love the fact that he admits to the people that they're vulnerable, that they have absolutely no power to face this army. And then he says the most profound words that outside of Dr. Trites' saying, I have remembered, God, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. By bringing the people together, by standing before them, it showed Jehoshaphat's dependence, utmost dependence on God. He dealt with them as a united people, a united voice, and together they brought strength. And the petition that they had, they brought to God. And it was powerful because the people were together. They were united, one voice, one mind, just as Glenn prayed. Jehoshaphat knows he's in for a fight. And he knows that as king, this is beyond his power. So when he calls on the name of the Lord, in turn, he calls the people to do the same. And in this situation, Jehoshaphat is keeping the focus. Not on himself. Not on the people. Not on the situation. But on who? God. Now remember, he's a seasoned king. He's no spring chicken. 25 years he's been doing this. And he still can admit he doesn't know what to do. I love this man. I love him. How many of us are willing at the best of times to admit that we don't know what we're doing? 
We generally like to think, especially in this society, that we got it all together, and we want everybody else to think the same. Vulnerability is a bad word. We don't want to be vulnerable, let alone to appear to look vulnerable. It's not a good thing this day and age. We want to look strong and capable, and we want to look like we got it all together, don't we? Well, when I was here at seminary, I thought I had it all together. And then after graduating and going into ministry, and 22 years later in the church, I can tell you I don't have it all together. Don't get me wrong. There's been incredible moments in ministry. There's been joy-filled moments, happy moments, gracious moments, and I have seen God move in mighty ways. But there's also been those moments when the wind was absolutely taken out of my sails and I landed flat on my back, lying there thinking, okay, now what? And then on top of that, 22 years of ministry, I became a parent, not just to one child, but to three. And believe me, they don't come with owner's manuals, and there are times when you really think, did I really want to do this? What was I thinking? So in ministry and as a mom, I learned in these moments that I don't have all the answers. And I had many times to look to my children and say, Mommy doesn't know. And I also had to spend times looking at my church and saying, I really don't know. And after admitting to it, I realized that the only one that does know is God. So back to Jehoshaphat. After admitting that he doesn't have a resolution to the situation, after his sermon, the Holy Spirit comes up on Jeziel. And he speaks the word of instruction. Jehoshaphat has praised God, and now God's going to speak through this man. And he tells the people something very simple. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Where have we heard that before? All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, those words have been spoken time and time again. In other words, I know this looks bad, but God has got this. And this battle that you're about to fight is not yours, it's mine, says God. (laughs) Give it to him. It's yours. It's a relief when we do that. Jezeel tells them that they're going to find the opposing army and that they, the people of Judah and Jerusalem, will go out and stand firm and they will see God fight the battle for them. And then he tells the king and the people again to not be afraid or be discouraged. Important words to remember in this life, especially as Christians. So Jehoshaphat hears this news, and when he does, he bows his face to the ground, and the people worship God. It's truly one of those happy ending stories. It's really a fairy tale in many ways with this wonderful, incredible, happy ending. But it just didn't fall in their hands. They had to acknowledge that God was in control. The king, as I said, had reason to fear. And fear is really a motivating factor in our society. And I know today that the rates of anxiety amongst people is just at an all-time high. 
We are a fearful society. We're an anxious society. We're afraid of losing our jobs and our spouses and our material possessions especially. We're afraid of our dignity, losing our health, our friendships, our honor, our power. We live today in a perpetual what if I whatever. I really think the enemy wants to keep us filled with fear because when we do that, we don't keep focus. When faced with life's challenges, when we don't know the answers, when we are afraid, we need to say, you know what, God? I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. My guess it sounded more like this. I got this, God. It's all under control. Sometimes it's not until we've had a few failed attempts at sorting things out that we do seek God for answers. And I don't know about you, but I'm willing to admit that there are times when I don't seek God first, and God becomes the last resort. And when I do that, it doesn't work. Now, I'm not going to do what well, I'm going to do what my preaching professor told me to never do. <laughs> God love him. He's gone on to be with the Lord. I'm going to. <laughs> I'm going to digress a little because Dr. Jerry Burns always told us to stay in the text, stay in the text, stay in the text. You never digress. And every time I digress, I hear Dr. Burns saying, "Stay in the text," stay in, the, in his best Southern accent. <laughs> I'm just going for a little bit, okay? okay. <laughs> we, we call it phonological license. <laughs> and I'm going to exercise that this morning, just for this afternoon for a few minutes. When I think outside of myself of someone who lost their focus and as a result sunk, who do you think of? It was Peter. I remember thinking and just recently saw a beautiful um, a Sight and Sound Theater in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, the story and the life of Jesus. And they actually showed Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. And what was so cool was Peter is standing there. He's on the waves. We're feeling the water. We're hearing the waves crashing. And he's walking towards the Lord. And Peter takes a slight turn. And the moment he does, he sinks. When we look away from Jesus, it's easy to lose our focus. When we look around and seek other people's opinions, confirmation, and direction, when we lose our focus on who we should be looking at, unfortunately, we will be like Peter and sink. When I get to thinking that I got it all together and it's all under control, Jehoshaphat reminds me today to keep my eyes focused on God. Reminds all of us. What's also important that I want to remind and Glenn prayed about today is that Jehoshaphat brought the people together, the men, the women, and children, and there is strength in numbers, my friends. The people that God sought to bring together to face the army were people that were called to fast and focus on God. We are often a too proud of a society. How many times when you're dying inside, when you're full of fear, when you're discouraged, when you're afraid, and someone walks by and comes up to you and says, how you doing? You go, I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> Brother 
and sister in Christ, absolutely fine. Everything's great. All is wonderful. When we're not. There is strength in numbers, and we need to let people know what's going on in our lives. Jehoshaphat let the whole kingdom know what was going on. Because when we do that, when we have people interceding on our behalf and praying for us and fasting for us, there is power and strength in that. Jehoshaphat, after everybody is together, they all come together to worship. And I will find worship binds and brings us all together. And it's wonderful when we can come together as a sense of unity with encouragement, meeting our common goal to keep our eyes on the Lord. So I ask you today, what battle are you fighting? What battle are we fighting? Is it a spiritual battle? Is there doubt in your heart today that God cares or doesn't care? Is there a physical battle going on, whether it's health or mental illness, whatever it may be? Is it a struggle here at Acadia Divinity College? Oh my golly, I bet you you got struggles. Talk to someone. Ask your professor to pray for you. I know mine did. As a student here, I had many battles. And in the church, there are many more. But let me tell you today, how to handle it and what works best is to be honest. I have thrown my hands in the air, as I said, more than once, looking to God for strength. I have come alongside of someone that I can trust and be a confident and say, I'm not doing too good. But it's when I try to fix it all myself and look like I got it all together, I simply fall apart. So don't lose focus today. Adopt the words of Jehoshaphat. No matter what the battle may be, remember, we don't fight it alone. Don't cower to the enemy in fear. Do not surrender that power. But keep your eyes focused on God. And the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit will come upon you or someone else to give you that encouragement that you need to overcome it. So I pray, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful day that this beautiful story out of Chronicles, of all places, will serve as a reminder to you all that when life is tough, when studies are rough, when situations seem unclear, look to God, look to Jesus, and keep your eyes on him. And remember the words of Jehoshaphat. Good Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes, they are on you. Let me pray for you. Our gracious and loving God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, how you speak to us through the words that were written so long ago and how they are as relevant today as they were in Jehoshaphat's day. God, we thank you and praise you that we're reminded that you are a God who is near and dear to us and that we are also there knowing that we can call upon you at any time. Lord, I pray that you would take away any fear, any angst or anxiety that may be on our hearts and minds today. And I ask, Lord God, that you replace it with your spirit of peace and comfort and self-control. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ here today. I thank you for the privilege of being here. 
and ask your blessing upon each one now as we all keep our eyes on you in Jesus' name.